Amen. Can we just thank the band for leading us in worship this morning? Really great job. It's interesting that we're starting a series on, on what it means to be part of a church family today because today is what we call one of our family services. And if you've noticed, we have some, some little people in the room, and they're not all that little, but five years and up, first grade and up, they're in worship with us today. So there are two ways that we can respond to that. One of those ways is for us to be thinking the entire time, whoa, what's going on with that kid? The other is for us to look at those guys and let them know that we are glad that they're in large group worship today. So could we let the little people around us know that, that we're glad they're here today? Awesome. We are thankful for our kids. Kids matter. Uh, for me, I, I grew up in church. Uh, I've shared uh, regularly that I'm a recovering Baptist. Uh, and with that, you deal with uh, lots of things. And I even closed out last week's sermon and, and talked about how um, just the uniqueness of my family situation and that my immediate family, they're all gone, they've passed away. And the church for me was a large part of my understanding of what it meant to be in a family. I understood family more from church than I did my, my home setting at times. And at my home church, where, when I was little, from the ages of 6 to probably 12, 13, every Sunday we would close out the service, and maybe some of you guys are here with me, you, we would link arm, link hands across the room. And we would sing a song that went a little bit like this, and I'm not going to sing it. It doesn't need to happen. It'll sound like an animal's dying. But I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Did anyone sing this song? Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. The only time in my life I ever had a conversation about sod was every Sunday at church at the end of the service. Families are really, really big deal and when we look into the scriptures they tell us a lot about family and and what it means to be part of that and we search functioning as a family in acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 42 through 47 and, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they attended the temple courts together. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see this picture of the family in the church of Jerusalem. Family is a really popular concept on television. The title of this series is This Is Us. And it's just so that I know that I'm not the only one that's watching this show. If you have spent any time on a... Okay, this show is about family. It's about the uniqueness of family from various uh, different places. But they are united as a family. And, and as I've watched this show and as I've even posted this week on, on social media about us doing this series, the question that I kept getting from people was, are you going to make them cry? Because that show makes us cry every week. 
And we learn a lot about family from TV. I remember there was a, in the 60s, and some of you guys may remember this, it eventually got to Nick at Night. There was a show about a family that was united. You had a, a man who had three boys and you had a lady who had three girls and the youngest one her hair was in curls and the two of them they get married together it it was called the Brady Bunch does anybody remember this that's not the Brady Bunch at all but the the Brady Bunch so you've got this family and if you ever watch the show you notice something though they were coming from two very different places they never argued ever Is that how your family functions? (laughs) Preach. In the 80s, 90s, there was uh, something that took place on ABC called TGIF. Thank goodness it's funny. And you have all these families that have different backgrounds. Some of them have uncles moving in with a dad who's raising three girls on his own. Some of these families are, are couples who've come together. Some of these families are, they include the neighbors. Some of these families are dinosaurs. And we're not going to talk about evolution today. That's for someone else. Uh, you see a variety of families coming together. But what you would notice, especially in the one that was most like the Brady Bunch, which is step-by-step step with Patrick Duffy, the star of Dallas, this family that came together couldn't stand each other. Here's what D.A. Carson, theologian who says lots of smart stuff, says. Ideally, the church is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and they owe him a common allegiance. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says and he commands them to... Love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who live, one, who live with one another for Jesus' sake. Look around the room. You did not know some of these people before you got here. But the God of the Bible, in his sovereignty, and in what we call providence, has brought this faith family at Grace Bible together that we are praying and trusting that we will see grow. But we're different. So what is it that uniques, that unites us? Is it that we are a random assortment of people? I was on a plane on Friday. Is that plane, all of the people who were on that, is that a church? Is that a family? Well, no. Even though we're in a tube catching one another's germs, we are not a family. A church family is a group of people. If you're a note taker, this is a great thing to write down. The church is a people united by the shed blood of Jesus rather than the shared blood of family. One more time. The church 
is a people united by the shed blood of Jesus rather than the shared blood of family. So when we look at Acts chapter 2 and you see this picture of the church there, you have what we have historically called the Jerusalem church and they are a loving, caring, supportive community and no church from that point forward has been what the Jerusalem church was since. You get to Corinthians and it gets weird. We look into the various churches and Paul's always addressing issues, but you don't have that here. But what God has given us with the church at Jerusalem, he has propped up, this is what I would have you to be. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. Because if they were perfect, they would not need to be wrapping themselves around Jesus. But he unites them in Jesus. Well, who are they? Who makes up this church? They were the people, because they didn't use the word Christian. It doesn't come around until a little bit later in the book of Acts. And Luke uses it negatively. They called us Christians. But in when we look at this, and we look at they in verse 2, they who devoted themselves, they were people who had been with Jesus. They were people who bore witness to the resurrection. Whether directly or indirectly, the resurrection of Jesus had impacted and affected them. They were people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were people who believed. And they were people who were in the process of being rescued by Jesus. We have people who have transitioned from sinners to saved and from being saved to being sanctified. So we've got to break down those words because those are big Bible words. Sinners, people who are without a relationship with Jesus. Every one of us, regardless if we are a Christian now or not, sinner is where we start. When you are saved, you are still a sinner, but you are a sinner who has been taken hold of by Jesus. And when Jesus saves you, the process of what we call sanctification begins. Big Bible word that rhymes with PlayStation. But what it means is, being made people who are being made more and more like Jesus. So when we look at the Jerusalem church, these things unite them, and we see this idea of sinners who are saved and saved being sanctified, and it's all through this. So what do we, as Grace Bible, how do we process this? How do we communicate this? What does it mean for us to embrace the truths that, that come with being a church? Well, when we met with the elders in May... I got here, if you're unfamiliar, in March. April 2nd was my first Sunday. And the elders and myself and Jared, we, we're both elders. It works a little bit like that. We, we had an all-day planning meeting that involved, well, it involved lots of carbs, if I'm being honest with you. But we sat down together, and in the morning, we walked through, okay, we have all these true things that we believe, our doctrinal statement, and we love that. And what it means for us to be a church, and we love that. We have our mission statement. So when we think about what it means for us to be a church, we cannot say every Sunday, this is who we are, and we spread out 27 sheets of paper for us. Because that would be strange. And getting those back together, I'd have to be a magician. So when we look into the book of Acts chapter 2, and we look into other common teachings of the scriptures on the church what are some concepts that are there that we can take hold of so that we can say this is what it means 
to be part of our church. This is what we want all of our people to be doing. And there, there are four things that come out of Acts 2. And here they are. And you feel free to write these down. Gather. Grow. Give. And go. One more time. Gather. Grow. Give. And go. Because when you read through what we learn from Luke about the church in, in Jerusalem, those concepts are there. And for any church that seems to be functioning properly, those concepts are there and they're prevalent. Let's go. 42 again. They, we know who the they is, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and many signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They even sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, when you read this, it does not come across as a clear, clean picture. But when you, because life isn't clear and clean. If your life is clear and clean, I need you to make notes for me and I'll maybe sign you up to preach next week. But when we do read through this text, we see these concepts obviously portrayed for us by the church at Jerusalem. Obviously portrayed for us when, when Paul would talk to the other churches. Concepts that we would say, that is what we would ascribe to be. So what does it mean when they gather? When we say they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, we are talking about gathering. Now the gathering is the idea of devotion to what we are hearing these men say. Can you imagine being one of the apostles for the church at Jerusalem? You have a group of people who have only one thing in common, and that's Jesus. But they're having to learn from these men what it was like to be with Jesus. And they would get up, and they would begin to teach, and they would go to bed. They're exhausted. But they would gather together. Well, where did they gather together? How did that work? Well, they gathered together in two places. They gathered together formerly in the temple. Quite what we do here on a Sunday morning, but reflective of it. That a group of people would gather together and they would be part of what we call the church. A formal gathering. And then they would gather together informally. The actual scriptures tell us this. That they would gather together in the homes. So these, this body of believers would not just get together in rooms like this. That were probably a little more pristine. With more robes. They would gather together in homes, informally having conversations about what God has taught the people. So 
they're having constant conversation about the Bible because they take the Bible seriously. And when we take the Bible seriously, it helps us to take Jesus seriously. So as a body of believers who get together here, I have to ask this. In our formal gathering, are we taking the Bible seriously? If not, we do not take Jesus seriously. And when we get together in, in our home groups, are we taking Jesus seriously? Taking the Bible Jesus, taking the Bible seriously in order that we take Jesus seriously. What are other things that we see? What were they wrapping themselves around? They were they would grow together. The idea of fellowship is there. It's the, it's the Greek word koinonia, which I'm glad I only had to say once. And koinonia, or the idea of fellowship, if we're not careful, we make fellowship things like baby showers and paintball tournaments. But when the Bible talks about fellowship, it's obviously talking about friendship. But it's always talking about more than that. It's people of God wrapped around the promises of God and seeing that their unity comes because of who Jesus is. They would gather together and they would grow together. That's where we find ourselves when we look at fellowship. A body of people who are choosing to grow together based on what Jesus teaches us. It's more than friendship, but it's not less. D.A. Carson actually says this as well. He says that the idea of fellowship, when we read about it in Scripture, it can be translated that this group was participating together for a common goal. Well, what is that common goal? Thankfully, we don't have to answer that because Jesus does. The common goal of any faith family is that we would make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, trusting that He's with us always. That's the common goal. That's our end goal. That we would see our neighbors and nations reach for the sake of Jesus because we believe that Jesus is better than anything else this world provides. Church can be so strange though. It can just be a structure. I didn't go on vacations a lot when I was a kid. Uh, in eighth grade, we went to uh, Panama City Beach and we airbrushed ourselves and it was awesome. And I remember two years later looking through our family's photo album from this trip and there were all these magnificent pictures of my dad who had this sweet mustache and an even sweeter mullet. And my, my dad in these pictures standing over all of these incredible sand sculptures. And he was standing over them the way that you would stand over something if you built it. Every picture my dad's like, hey... Or, hey. Or, and I remember looking at my mom, because I was on this trip too, and saying to her, when did dad build these? And she said, he didn't build any of them. It was just about the structure. 
if we are not careful and we are not focused and we are not fixated on the idea of what the scriptures teach us and functioning in a way that is shaped by what the scriptures teach us, then all that we do when we get together in here every Sunday morning, when people sit, literally see you walk behind a Whataburger, is we're pointing to this building and giving credit to a structure that we have no, no commitment to whatsoever. The goal is not to be in this building. The goal is for us to celebrate what God's doing when we get together here. But for your life and for, for your lives and for my life, more importantly, to say that we really do believe that if someone places their trust in Jesus, that he changes things. And if you do not believe that Jesus changes things, you are not a Christian. Forty-two again, because it's it's overflowing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. But forty-three, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and they were distributing them, the proceeds to all as any had need. I had a unique conversation on Facebook about when I say unique, I wish I'd never had it. But I posted a comment and a person had replied that Jesus was a socialist. You know, the, the social structure that we see from Marx and Lenin. And I had to remind this young man that socialism did not exist when Jesus was walking the earth. This is not the idea of a, an overbearing government shoving people into a certain type of life. This is a choice. These people believe that Jesus changed things so much that they made the choice to sell their things. Now, when you begin to sell your things, and when you begin to make decisions with your money... And when we begin to look and we begin to say that the church of Jesus is something that we really hold fast and firm to, that will affect the way that we spend. The passage, as you look, all who believed were together. They had all things. They were selling their possessions. Well, why were they doing this? Why did they have this common bag with their money? Have you ever thought about how fast the church grew? Jesus had these 12 guys that were with him. You get to the book of Acts and things get quick. I mean, things begin to change quickly. In the book of Acts, we see this. Just for an Acts flashback, if you're into that type of thing. The risen Jesus talks to the apostles. We then see the conversion of thousands at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And then we see the first public statement of Jesus, his resurrection, and God's rescue operation. And they go from 12 to 3,000. And the way they've been living is sharing among 12 people. And now they have to learn to share among 3,000. They have to learn to give as part of that 3,000. They have to begin to look around the corner and see who is in need and how they're going to prop up them supporting that need. There was no idea of my. In the movie Finding Nemo, you may remember that pelican that screamed mine over and over. That doesn't exist here. 
There's a family nature to what's going on. Sister Sledge would be all about this. Where I go, you go. What I eat, you eat. Just like in your house, everything's in common. Nobody walks into your house and opens the fridge and says, well, well, that's my milk. Or that's my bread. Or that's my smoothie. These things are shared. It's common. And they gave. So when we begin to look about the church, think about the church and look at the church and consider what it means for me and for you to be part of this church, are we giving for the common goal? Our church has, and, and you see this in the New Testament, as the church becomes a more clear or begins to display itself more and more clearly, there are distinctions that are made, unique uh, unique givings that certain churches have. Our church has chosen various mission opportunities. These are the things that we give to. However, that's not just the mission. When we give of our resources, what we are saying is that we believe that the mission of God does not just happen outside of the walls of this place, but we believe what God does here is just as much the mission. So we make sure that our resources are used for that good. And we make sure that we are, that we know who around us and who is part of us is, is in unique spaces. The reason that we would encourage you to be part of groups where you're growing together is because we have placed deacons and leaders in those groups so that when they hear of your hurts, we know how to help. It's a unity that we see. The scriptures take us to that. The church views itself as a family. And healthy families take care of one another. And I prayer over and over. What I ask God to stir in my heart, and I pray that he would stir in all of ours who are members of this body, is that we would really care for one another. Because if we're living in isolation, we are living in a way that is apart from what God has designed and intended. Day by day, they attended the temple courts. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now this, this phrase, breaking bread, has come up a, a couple of times. So we're not just talking about them cutting into the pizza, the kosher pizza that Peter would have ordered. We're talking about them remembering the why of what they do. What is the source for all of these things? It is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So that when we as a church take communion... If you are not a believer, that's an oyster cracker that's more than likely stale and some grape juice. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that's a symbol that says that you remember his broken body and his shed blood. And that shapes the way that we gather, give, and grow. We respond to these things sacrificially because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross.
So when we would say, I don't want to be part of a life group. If you are a member of this church, I understand that that is sometimes the case. But the sacrifice that we're called to make so that we're part of the unity that God has painted for us in Scripture is that we would choose to be part of that. Because you don't get to be a one-man soldier out there. That's not Jesus has given to us. When we would encourage you to grow together in the Scriptures and to gather together around the Scriptures. And you would say, I don't want to do that. I'll tell you what, join the club. There are days I don't want to either. But Jesus has called us as response to his ultimate sacrifice to sacrificially look at his word and to see that when we do, it's good for us. When we gather together as a body, when we do these things, it's not because that's what we want to do. You could be playing golf right now or on a boat. You could be playing with your children in a park. But this is part of God's unique design. Day by day, they attended the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It seems that a church that is serious about the message of Jesus realizes that they are the method of Jesus. When those who are outside of faith spend time with you, there should be a uniqueness that comes with that. And that is that you have been with Jesus as the church in Acts. That is that you have bore witness to the resurrection. That is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have believed and you are being rescued in the process of. Praising God, verse 47 says, and having favor with all the people. But what we find is that lots of churches don't function in a way that is serious about Jesus. Not just here in our area. And when I say the church, I don't mean the leadership. I mean people who view this as something that they check off of a list that they're not serious about outside of the walls here or there or wherever they happen to meet. It's almost like a fax machine. Does anyone remember a fax machine? For whatever reason, they still use those for college recruiting. But it's an outdated machine, and the reason that colleges use it, it has nostalgic ties. The church that does not see going will die. The church that does not choose sacrifice in order to go will cease to be. One pastor in California says this, the church that does not evangelize, it fossilizes. One of the signs that we see throughout history of people in the midst of actual revival, not what we have called revival in the 20th and 21st century. 
The church in the midst of actual revival is a desire to spend time worshiping together. And I pray that when we get together in here, that we have more than just a sense that we should get this over with. What if we found ourselves begging God, asking God, what is not happening here that should be happening? What is not being done by our people that should be done? Because here's the truth. The gospel has not changed. The message that saves the world is that Jesus Christ, dead, crucified, resurrected, that is the hope of the world. God has not become less powerful. And there are still people around us who are in need of salvation. How are we going to respond to that as a body? As a church that exists... Because we're the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. That's who we are. We've met with Jesus. We've been with Jesus. We've seen Jesus. That's what you tell me. That's what you check on your cards. I pray that we would see all that we do here and take it seriously. And begin to see those around us in serious need of this Jesus that we claim is so powerful. Would you do me a favor today? I want you to bow your heads. Band's going to get in place. I'm thankful for them. They work really hard each week. Lots of people around here work really hard. I'm grateful for you. But as they get in place, I, I, I would just ask, maybe, maybe you're here and you've never become part of the family of Christ. You've never trusted in Jesus to die your death and, and, and you've trusted the life that he gives in return. Maybe you would begin a conversation with Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me because I'm a sinner. I need the hope that you offer because you're perfect. So Jesus, I want to give you my death and I want to take your life in return. It all starts with us needing Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I need you to take my sin because it leads to death and I want your life that you offer in return. If you're having that conversation with the Lord or feel like you need to, please, your Connect card is a great place for you just to check and and we'll follow up with you. Give it to Sarah or one of my connection crew as you walk out. Jesus, we need you. That's the prayer that every believer should pray regularly, not to forget that we need Jesus. But for you, if you're not a believer and the first time, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to deliver me. I need you to be my hope. So I want to give you my sin and I want the life that you offer in return. Secondly, maybe you're here and we've been together for six, seven months now and I'm thankful for you. I I would just ask you to pray over our church. Here's what's going to happen next. We're going to sing a song and more likely, more than likely, you're going to stand up and begin to sing. But I would encourage you before you do that, could you just say a prayer for our church? It doesn't have to be a quick one. 
Jesus, make us a church that sees the world around us and, and shape us to meet eternal needs and give us opportunities that we cannot ignore. Jesus, we need you. We need you to do that. You cannot be a church that does not need you. We cannot be that. So maybe you pray over our church. Maybe you even do something strange and pray at the front of this room. That's, that's perfectly fine. This room is designed to give you plenty of space. Maybe we kneel at our chairs because Jesus is just as much in your chair at the back of the room as he is up here. Jesus, shape us to be the church that you would have us to be. Gathering, growing, giving, and going. Because we believe more than, in, more than anything else, God, that you're better. That Jesus, you are better than this world. We ask this in your name.